Musicians, God bless you. Let's open our Bibles, if you have one tonight, to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 13. Just 1 and 2, verse 1 and 2. We're just going to look at that for a few moments. The English playwright and political activist George Bernard Shaw is reported to have this experience. And he told the story, and a few others have told it, Winston Churchill and W.C. Fields, but I think maybe it originated with Shaw. And he was speaking to this woman. He says, Madame, would you sleep with me for a million pounds? This is in England, right? So a million pounds. And uh, this, this woman, uh, she was uh, an actress. She's well-known in her day. She goes, my goodness, um, well, I'd certainly have to think about it. Then Shaw goes on to say, well, I want to ask you another question. Would you sleep with me for one pound? She goes, certainly not. What kind of woman do you think I am? Shaw goes, Madame, we've already established that and now we're just haggling about the price. <laughs> you know, so it's kind of uh, a number of people have claimed that story, but it carries the same message that money can reveal some of our base nature, can reveal things about us. In our Bible story, we look at a gifted, a very gifted man who sells out his gifting and I would dare say perhaps his service to whoever's the highest bidder. The story tonight we're looking at is Balaam in the Old Testament. And I called this sermon, Balaam the prophet for hire. Let's have a look at Nehemiah 13, 1 and 2. Two verses. On that day, they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people. And in it was found written that no Amorite or Moabite shall ever come into the assembly of God because they had not met the children of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, our God turned the curse into a blessing. They hired Balaam. Balaam, the prophet for hire. I want to consider a few points about that and first of all tonight that being spiritual does not necessarily mean you are godly being spiritual doesn't necessarily mean you are godly you know we consider then spiritual promotion in 1 Timothy 3 verse 13 the Bible says and they that use the office of a deacon well purchased for themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith in Christ Jesus and when you look at that word good degree, it's a picture of a step of promotion. This is the Greek understanding of that word. And so Paul's saying if you serve as a, you know, in a deacon, which is an unpaid servant in the church, you know, it could be an usher, it could be any number of our ministries there. But if you do that well, you purchase a good degree or there's a step of promotion for you. So many times we see an, in a promotion or you could say an increase in a spiritual gift or grace upon people as they serve God faithfully in their present capacity. We see that around as we disciple 
couples and we disciple men for ministries and, and uh, all those things. We see that constantly as a man, as people serve God faithfully, we see a promotion, increase in spiritual grace and gifting. We see this perhaps in the first uh, uh, number of deacons, Acts 6 verse 8. Now Stephen filled with faith and power did great wonders and signs amongst the people. He was amongst the seven first deacons in the early church. And the Bible says as he served faithfully, where you know it's not many verses along that we see he's full of faith and power and he did great wonders and signs amongst the people. There's an increase of spiritual graces and giftings upon his life as he served well just as that scripture says. Philip was the same. Acts 8 verse 5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria, preached Christ to them, and the multitude with one accord heeded the things spoken of Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles that he did. So we would expect that. We would expect if you serve faithfully in in God's lane and God's role where you're at now, and uh, that would equate to a, a greater dimension of spiritual grace, uh, dominion, giftings, and the like, and that's what we would expect, wouldn't you say so? What confuses us then, having said that, is when people have a certain spirituality about their life or certain giftings, but they're not necessarily godly, and they're not necessarily doing God's work or God's will at that moment. That's what confuses us. Can anybody say amen? So how do you process that? How do you file that? How do you uh, understand that? Well, perhaps a key text is Romans 11 verse 29. Paul says in this text, for the gifting or the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. The Amplified Bible says, for God's giftings and his callings are irrevocable. He never withdraws them once they are given and he doesn't change his mind upon those that he's bestowed. So what does that mean? That men and women can still function in spiritual giftings even after they've maybe chosen to depart from faithfulness, from faithful service, or even from the faith, even from the faith. We used to have the old analogy, a word picture of a, of a kettle. You've got the kettle, it's, on, it's on, the, on, the, on the hot plate or cooker. There's, as there's electricity or there's, there's heat or gas flame that is uh, going up and you, know, you can turn off the electricity, but how many know steam still comes out of the kettle for a time? There's no power there now, but there's something residual still functioning and and steam is still coming from the kettle for a period of time, even after the power is off. Can you say amen? That helps us understand Samson in Judges chapter 16. The Bible says, verse one, now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. And uh, when the Gazites were told Samson has come here. They surrounded the place and laid in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. 
They were quite all night saying in the morning when it is daylight, we will kill him. And Samson lay low to midnight and he arose at midnight, took a hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two doorposts, pulled uh, them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders, carried them onto the top of the hill that faces Hebron. And afterwards he loved a woman in the valley of Sorak whose name was Delilah. So here's Samson, he goes to Gaza to visit a prostitution house. Uh, you know, and a prostitute, and the, the enemies are surrounding him. Uh, and then he goes out, and as they shut the gates and the doors, he rips the doors up, rips the gates off, puts the uh, doors of the city on his shoulders and dumps them on the top of the hill. He does that by the power and the anointing that God has upon his life. So, you know, we, we struggle with that, don't we? And so the revelation here is gifts of God are given by God and the Holy Spirit through faith and the grace of God. However, our character and our faithfulness safeguards God's gifting in the long term in your life. In our text, we see a man named Balaam. I would say if you study his life, he's one of the most gifted men in his generation. In Numbers chapter 22, verse 5, then he sent messages to Balaam, the son of Beor at Pethor, which is near the river in the land of the sons of his people, to call him, saying, Look, a people has come from Egypt. See, they cover the face of the earth and are settling next to me. Therefore, please come at once, curse this people for me, for they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed and he whom you curse is cursed. So this king comes to Balaam and as he sees the children of Israel come as a great multitude and he's wanting to fight them and defeat them in battle and he goes to a man who knows, he knows, has the power of blessing and cursing. So Barak, the king of Moab, says, I know where to go, I'll go to Balaam. Balaam has a spiritual dimension working upon his life and through his life that whom he blesses are blessed and whom he curses are cursed. We could say, how did Balaam become so gifted? Because this is a quite an unusual dimension on a person's life. I would say, clearly, at one stage, Balaam had a dimension of relationship with God. I think the scripture would let us know that. When Barak came, the king of Moab came to Balaam and sent representatives to him the first time, the Bible says in Numbers 22 verse eight, and he said to them, lodge here tonight and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. So he says, what I'll do is I'll pray about it. I'll pray to God and ask what he would want. So obviously he has that dimension where he's prayed. And if you see the text, God answers him. God speaks to him. God says, no, I don't want you to go with these men. 
The people that they're wanting to curse are my people and they're blessed and I don't want you messing with them, right? That's what he tells them, so he comes back and, you know, so it's obvious to me and I think the scripture would reveal at some dimension and arena, Balaam has had a relationship with God. Remember, the title of the sermon is Balaam, the prophet for hire. Let's look at secondly then, because the Bible talks about the madness of the prophet, the madness and of the prophet. See, we have checks and balances in the church and God's people, even historically Old Testament, New Testament. Many of us have been around for a while, remember uh, with some degree of, you know, I don't know, um, fond memory when Pastor Mitchell would either be here or in Prescott and and uh, there's some of those weird kind of prophecies. Do you know what I'm saying? You know, kind of just, they're just strange. They're just off. And he goes, nope, that's not God. <laughs> and we all, <laughs> okay, so. <laughs> and so what is he talking about? You know, for most people, um, most people are so self-conscious it would take a Damascus Road experience to get you to ever speak publicly. But obviously that's not true of everyone. That's obviously not true. And, you know, look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 19, 20, 21. Paul says to the church, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast to what is good. So why does Paul have to say, don't despise prophecies? Because obviously some people were. And why were they despising prophecies? Because... Sadly, there was abuse. Young lady, if any guy comes up to you that's twice your age and wants to give you a word that God's told him you're to marry him, tell him to get lost. (laughs) I had one guy one time said, you know, he started stalking this girl and he said, we're married in the spirit. I said, what does that mean? It's just religious mumbo jumbo, isn't it? No, you're a stalker and a pervert. <laughs> you know, so there's uh, an abuse. You know, the sad thing is many of us saw, you know, the, 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 the run-up to the last United States election. So there was, a, there was a, um, a video clip of the President uh, Trump in a church, and he was sitting down there with his family. It seemed to be a Pentecostal slash charismatic church, large church. And, you know, there was a husband and wife team, <sighs> right? So, first of all, the husband gave the president a prophecy, you know, and it seemed half decent, you know, it seemed half decent. Then he gave the, the mic to her. And then she started prophesying, I don't know if you saw it, you are going to win the election. And she just started saying that. She needs to be stoned as a false prophet, doesn't she? She's starting going on and on and on and on. I said, how embarrassing this is. You know, Trump's not really a spiritual person, right? Thank God he was going to church. But what a bad testimony for Pentecostal churches. And I was, when she's doing, I'm, you know, you just feel a bit of the hairs in your back in there. What the heck? 
You're really in the place of God and you're, you're prophesying the future. And next thing they'll be prophesying when Jesus is coming back and telling you the date. Run from those people. So obviously in our text, Paul's saying don't despise and hold fast to that. It's good and test things. And that's an important thing to do. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 29, let two or three prophets speak and let other people judge. The body of Christ is to judge. That's why I'm not overly keen on private words because there's a dimension of judging, right? And there's a dimension of accountability and even pastoral accountability. You know, 1 Corinthians 11 verse uh, uh, 10, it says, for this reason, woman uh, ought to have the symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. And basically what that's talking about is some headship and spiritual covering because... This deception and error in the spiritual arena if you're a lone ranger. There's deception. You know, man thinks he's so smart that we can, de- you know, deal in the spiritual arena and not, not flow with what God is saying, the, the checks and balances, and you think you can survive in that arena and keep balanced and stable? It appears in our text that Balaam seems to be independent, not connected to any oversight in his gifting and his ministry. This is dangerous. You say, why? Number one, just what we see. Balaam, the prophet for hire. One man said, independent people often sell out to the highest bidder. One article spoke about Balaam being perhaps a poor prophet now is enticed with a large amount of money and honour that perhaps he's never seen before in life. In Numbers 22 verse 15, then Barak again sent princes more numerous and more honourable than they. So the first group comes, he prays, God says, no, they're blessed, don't mess with my people. He tells that to them. Barak sends another group, more honourable, more money. Bible says in Numbers 22, verse 17, I will surely honour you greatly and I'll do whatever you say to me. Therefore, please come and curse this people for me. So in our story, in our text, it says hired. Hired means, as you well know, there's a negotiation about a degree of money for your services. He wouldn't go for the first sum of money because he's such a man of principle. God says no. So obviously I won't go. But they come back with more honour and more money. Hang on, let me see what God has to say now. Because there's more money on the table, I'm sure he would probably change his mind. This significant sum of money and honour begins to turn him And sadly, this independent prophet sells out. So number one, danger of selling out. Number two, the Bible speaks madness sets in. See, the prophet for a hire or the ministry for a hire or the gift for a hire, you start down a slippery slope. And the Bible says into madness, insanity and foolhardiness. 
And 2 Peter 2 verse 15 and 16, they have forsaken the right way, gone astray, followed the way of, way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he was rebuked for his iniquity, a dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. What this is saying, what Peter's saying here, something's gone wrong in his head. There's a madness or it's an insanity or foolhardiness has gripped him and he's not willing to listen to anyone. Bible says God has to use a dumb donkey, the Bible says, to try to restrain him. The donkey's, you know, what a story. You know, many people have spoken, like he's, he's riding on the donkey and you know, the donkey stops because he sees the angel, the Lord, big sword out to kill him and you know, goes this way, goes that way, and then drops down. He says uh, to his donkey, uh, donkey, what are you doing? He beats him, he's going to kill the donkey. And then the donkey starts speaking to him. What an incredible story. Why are you beating me? I'm just trying to save your life. Haven't I been a faithful donkey all these years? Yes, you have. You know, and so, you <laughs> and there's just a conversation like it's a normal day. Madness has taken over. But see, the other problem of being for hire, it's not about serving people, it's about serving self. He's not concerned about God and his people. He's concerned about self. See, John 10 verse 12 says, but a hireling who is not a shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he's a hireling and he doesn't care about the sheep. This person, Balaam now, as he goes, he gets through the donkey pass and he moves on and God warns him, you only say what I say. And finally he goes to uh, Barak. Barak takes him up to the big hill overlooking the high places. Remember a lot of witchcrafts in the high places, isn't it? So he takes him to the high place and he wants him to start cursing the children of Israel, cursing God's people. Balaam, at the end of this point, I want to say he's a very dangerous man. He's offering his gifts that I believe most likely originated from God. He can do a lot of damage to many innocent people. The Bible is very strong in its warning, the danger about this person and the spirit of this person. Balaam the prophet for high. Let's look finally at false teaching here. See, the Bible then goes on to talk about how he couldn't curse the people, and we'll look at that in a minute. But then it goes on to speak that Balaam had a doctrine or a teaching that was even more deadly than his word curses. What is that? In Deuteronomy 23, uh, 3 through 5, the Bible says, an Amorite or a Moabite shall not enter the assembly of the Lord even to the 10th generation. None of their descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord forever. Why? Because they did not meet you 
That's God's people, bread and water on the road when you came out of Egypt. And because they hired against you, Balaam, the son of Beror, of Pethor, of Mesopotamia, to curse you. Nevertheless, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam. But the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loves you. Takes him to the high places, overlooks the children of Israel four times. They build an altar, they offer an offering there and they're, you know, Barak's trying to set it all up so that this man would curse God's people. You read some of the words that he said, he didn't curse God's people because God's people are blessed. One of the statements that he makes is in Numbers 23, 23, is there's no sorcery against Jacob or divination against Israel. It now should be said of Jacob and of Israel, oh, what God has done. Numbers 23, verse 20 and 21. Behold, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot reverse it. He has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. The Lord God is with him and the shout of a king is amongst them. So instead of cursing, he could only bless. Once, twice, three times, four times. And finally in the end, Barak just pulls out his hair. The king who's hired him, he just, what can we do here? After these four prophecies of Balaam, Balaam goes back to his place. But the next chapter, if you flip over from Numbers 24, where that main body of the story is, and in Numbers 25, you see something very interesting. Now, Israel remained at Acacia Grove. See, they had no idea. They didn't know that Barak was up there. They probably never knew all about Balaam, he's trying to curse. The story only come out later and by divine revelation. But the very next chapter, you see something happen. The people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. They invited the people to the sacrifice of their gods and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal at Peror and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. And then verse nine, those that died in the plague were 24,000. So what is this? He couldn't curse them. He could only bless them. But the Bible says that Balaam said to Barak, I can't curse them, but this is what you can do. He had a doctrine or a teaching. And he said, this is what you can do. What they did is the very next chapter. They said, why don't you go and invite some of the young men of the children of Israel to come to your church? See how you do worship. See how you do offerings to the Lord or to your God. And so the Moabites had this strategy. So the young Jewish men came to their services and the young Jewish men had never seen anything like this. Look at how they dress. Look at how they dance. They turned the lights down in the sanctuary and said, let's party. That's what they did. Pastor Farrell made a comment when he preached for me a couple of years ago in Melbourne. He said, if you make your church like a nightclub, you're going to get nightclub results. Ask people who used to go to nightclub what happens at nightclubs. 
What are the results of nightclubs? I asked Jad Barut, he used to run a nightclub in Melbourne. He'll tell you. So the Moabites got this strategy or idea is to invite them to their religious service and they didn't have the same holiness and modesty and godliness. In their religious service, there was lasciviousness, compromise. And before you knew it, the Bible says that those young men started committing fornication with these girls. Jesus tells us in Revelation chapter 2, verse 14, this very thing. And he's saying that this spirit has been brought into the New Testament. And New Testament churches have to beware of the doctrine of Balaam. Let me read it to you. Jesus said, Revelation 2, 14, I have a few things against you because you have those that hold the doctrine of Balaam. A doctrine is a set of teachings and beliefs that people uh, articulate. And the Bible says, Jesus said, who taught Barak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. So Jesus, because he's God, knew that Balaam couldn't curse. But then he says, Barak, what you can do is that you can do this, this and this and entice God's people through your religious worship and your moral compromise. And uh, that was a more lethal weapon than any word curse he could release. The Bible says 24,000 of God's people lost their lives because of the judgment plague. So his teaching and doctrine encourage moral compromise amongst God's people. I have to say, sadly, there are some in the modern church that still hold to the doctrine of Balaam. What is eating things sacrificed to idols? That's compromise. Sexual immorality, we know all about that. What does that mean? It's how we dress, how we talk, how we function, amen. The vibes we put out, the places we go. I mean, it's not okay to go to church, amen, on Sunday and nightclub on Friday and Saturday. That's not right. I had one guy in Melbourne say, oh, you know, I'm in the nightclub. I said, if you, if you, you think it's a Christian, it's okay to go to the nightclub, we're going to clash. That's all I can say. We're going to clash. Maybe there's other churches that think that's okay. I don't think that's okay. Good preaching, pastor. All right. Just checking. (laughs) So Balaam's most lethal weapon wasn't his prophecies, but was his doctrine and teaching. And Peter warns us, in 2 Peter 2 verse 15, for they've forsaken the right way and gone astray because of the way of Balaam who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Okay, so we, we bring it to a close. I talked about overcoming witchcraft. Josephus, the Jewish writer, speaks that Balaam 
and he made this quote, was the best prophet of his time, but he was having a disposition ill-adapted to resist temptation. That's probably been kind to him. Joshua 13, verse 22, the Bible says, now after the children of Israel had come into the promised land, and it seemed like Balaam, where he was from, was part of the greater land of Canaan, the promised land. Look what it says. And the children of Israel also killed Balaam, the son of Beror, the soothsayer, amongst who were killed by them in the land. So when they came into the land, they brought God's judgment upon the one who, now they're saying, they're defining him as a soothsayer, one who uses divination. He's drifted even further. And he's the one who put a stumbling block and released a curse on Israel. So I asked the question in closing, what should have Balaam done? Think about it. He starts off fine. They come and ask him, he prays about it. God says no, he says no. That's a good start, isn't it? That's what you should do. Somebody asked you about certain things, go to God and if God says no, you say no. Obviously then, you know, they came back and he got tempted and he started compromising. That was the beginning of a bad path, wasn't it? But even as you see through that, he comes, he prophesies four times. God's spirit comes upon him and some of his prophecies are some of the most profound prophecies in the Old Testament. Speaking about God's people. Read it for yourself, it's incredible. What should he have done? After he blessed God's people and realised God didn't want them cursed, he should have repented and joined God's people. He should have sided with the righteous. He should have rejected all connection with Barak, the one who's opposing God and God's people. He should have judged according to what God's word declares and he should have chosen his sides very wisely. If he is the vehicle of these amazing prophecies over God's people, he knows that God doesn't want them uh, cursed and then he goes and says, Barak, come here. I can't curse them, but you can actually get them cursed by inviting them to your religious gathering and teaching them to do what you do. And then because of their sin and compromise, that'll bring God's judgment upon them. And he shares this with them. That's wicked. And he knew all this. He willfully knew all this and he still chose his sides very poorly. So again, then what's the lesson for the church today? Just because a person's spiritual or has spiritual dimensions working in their life doesn't mean they're righteous. Secondly, don't sell your giftings and callings. They're not for hire. Especially talented people. Thirdly, join in with what God's doing. Side with the righteous. Receive their blessing. What a story would have been if Balaam would have just gone down, got caught up with Joshua, told Joshua the story, saying, would God forgive me? I, I, you know, I, I should have never come, but I, I want to be right. Can I be a part of you? And what do I need to do? And who knows? He could have been a powerful prophet ongoing, couldn't he? Had tremendous future. 
with that dimension of gifting. You know, we see in closing in Numbers 23, verse 18, and they, he took up his oracle and says, Arise, Barak, and hear and listen to me. God is not a man that he should not lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he not said and will he not do? Or has he spoken? Will he not make good? Behold, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot reverse it. He has not observed iniquity in Jacob nor seen wickedness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him and the shout of a king is amongst them. God brings them out of Egypt. He has the strength like a wild ox. There is no sorcery against Jacob nor divination against Israel. It now must be said of Jacob and Israel, oh, what God has done. That's what Balaam said. One of the most, if not the most, gifted prophet in the Old Testament record misses God, souls out and loses a destiny. What is the application for us? There are many in this generation, I'd say even many in this church, you have an incredible heritage, gifting, blessing. What are we going to do with that? What are you going to do with that? Is your gifting, is your talents, is your anointing for sale? What are you going to do with what God's given you? That's the question that's asked about Balaam, isn't it? Balaam was a prophet for a hire. We're called uh, not to sell out, can you say amen? We're called to hold precious the inheritance of faith, faithfulness, fellowship, association, anointing, gifts, graces and favour upon God. Walk humbly and use them for his purposes, for his glory and for his kingdom. Amen. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer.